All right, this is the fourth and final lesson on prayer, and we call this one, uh, this is the different kinds of prayer, part three. So we've been covering all these different kinds of prayer, and uh, this one is called tongues, prayers of agreement, faith, and consecration. So these are the four types of prayer we're going to cover in this one. And so uh, we've been looking at this for several weeks now, and understand the most controversial thing we've probably said depends on what circles you run in, is that prayer, when it's not spoken, it is not prayer. It's just the voice of your heart, and that's great, and that's powerful. It can do things, but it's not prayer. Prayer, by definition, in the Greek language and prayer, by definition, in the Hebrew language is an oration. So it has to come out of your mouth. And I kind of liken it into prayer that's not prayed is just hope. Prayer that's not spoken is just a heart of hope. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. So keep it, don't just keep it in your heart, give voice to it, cry out before God. And we saw in Luke's gospel, Jesus teaching the model prayer or the Lord's prayer. He said, when you pray, say, our father who art in heaven. And every reference you find to Jesus praying, he's speaking. Uh, It is a religious and an erroneous understanding that prayer can be silent or prayer can be in your head or prayer can be in your mind. It's just not biblical at all. And so for that reason, We just emphasize that, and I think we all know that in this church, but maybe other folks don't. I was raised denominational, and we were notorious for the unspoken request. That's not biblical. How do do I come into the prayer of agreement, which we'll cover here, if it's an unspoken request? And the Bible says, declare things from the rooftops. So don't just keep it bottled up in your heart, because if you're not giving voice to it, it's just hope. It's, It's just hope, not even biblical hope. Biblical hope is an expectation. It's more an American hope or a Greek philosophical hope, which means uh, an uncertain good. That's kind of the American definition of hope, an uncertain good. I hope I win. I hope the team makes it to the Super Bowl. I hope they show up. That is an uncertain good. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is based on uh, an expectation, uh, a, a fervent faith. And so you, you fervently expect it to come to pass. Well, if you do, then according to 2 Corinthians 4.13, we believed and therefore we have spoken. That's the spirit of faith. Anyway, so enough on that. So we've been covering all these different types of prayers because, as we said, there isn't just prayer. There's multiple, multiple kinds of prayers. The first lesson was intercessions, groanings, and travailings. There's three kinds. Then last week, what did we cover last week? I don't even remember now. Some good stuff. This week we have tongues, prayers of agreement, faith, and consecration. So there alone is seven. Thanksgiving was last week. There's eight. Uh, supplications and petitions. There's nine and ten. Ten types of prayers. Really, supplications and petitions are kind of the same thing. But you've got nine or ten different kinds of prayer that the New Testament distinguishes. And so we need to understand these so we can follow what's going on when God is moving upon us. Our first section here on this curriculum is praying in tongues. This might be the second most controversial thing we talk about. A lot of churches don't believe in tongues anymore. I don't understand why churches want to be quick to say tongues is of the devil. Because most of those churches don't even believe in the devil anymore. Well, if you're praying in tongues, you got a demon spirit. Since when do you believe a Christian can have a demon spirit? That's not even your doctrine. I don't understand why we've got over 100 passages of Scripture, 100 verses that deal with tongues. And so many New Testament Christian churches in America say it's been done away with. It's just sad, unfortunately. But praying in tongues is a form of prayer. As should be apparent from our study thus far, looking at our curriculum, there are many types of prayers. 
Several times in the New Testament, the saints of God are recorded as spending time in prayer. However, the Bible does not tell us what kinds of prayers they were praying. And you can see that in Acts 4.31, Acts 13, Acts 16. We don't know what kinds of prayers. Were they interceding? Were they supplicating? Were they giving thanks? Sometimes when the prayers are recorded and written down in the Bible, we know what kind of prayer it was. Giving of thanks, and there may be petitions. Uh, but unless it tells us, we just, we just can assume maybe all ten were going on, nine or ten types. We can be confident, though, that some of this prayer was in other tongues, even as Paul said, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all. So Paul was in a habit of praying in tongues quite a bit. And we see services in the book of Acts where they spoke in tongues. Acts chapter 2, they prayed in tongues in a prayer service. Acts chapter 10, they're having a home Bible study. And as uh, Peter's yet preaching, the Holy Ghost falls on them, and they begin to speak in tongues and magnify God. And then in Acts chapter 19, they have a Bible ship, a Bible to study, uh, study and discipleship time. And Paul lays hands on them and they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy and magnify God. So we see it was a common occurrence. So what is tongues? And we've covered this in other lessons, especially if you go to this church. But tongues refers to a supernatural prayer language where the language spoken is both unknown and unlearned by the Christian praying. That doesn't mean somebody doesn't understand it somewhere in the world. But that one that is praying, you don't have a clue what you're saying. This language can be either an earthly tongue or an angelic tongue. And folks don't get that, but you should. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, Paul said, Though I speak with tongues of men and angels. And then we go on to talk about love after that. But notice he said there was two classifications of tongues. Earthly tongues, that means tongues that man has devised through linguistics. And then there's angelic tongues, tongues that nobody on earth would comprehend. Only the angels would. And apparently when we pray in tongues, we pray in both categories. Sometimes the uh, angels understand. Sometimes if you were to have a, maybe a great group of linguists, somebody might understand. I'm pretty confident. This is just me speculating. Eventually they'll get some kind of iPhone app or Google app because they already have it where you can speak and it'll translate for you. Or, and it's my neighbor, actually, my neighbor is French-Canadian. Uh, and so she was showing me an app on the phone yesterday. She went to um, Mexico on a mission trip recently. And so she was showing me how she can speak and it, it records and then translates it into Spanish. And so she had accidentally hit the button while we were talking and it recorded both of our conversations. And then it starts kicking back in Spanish what we were just talking about. I would almost be willing to bet there'll come a time when the technology catches up with the Holy Ghost and we can pray in tongues and somebody's app will be able to tell us what we're saying. We've seen it in our church, not with the apps, but with people visiting who said, you were saying this or you were saying that when Pastor Titus Marefu was here from Zimbabwe a couple years ago, well, actually it was last year, and I was praying in tongues. He got up and he said, you were speaking three African dialects because he speaks like 20 of them. And he said, in Shona you were saying this, in Zulu you were saying that. And he just understood what I was praying in tongues uh, because he's an educated man and I was praying in an African set of dialects. Uh, anyway... That's just to say, tongues is really cool, and I don't know why you wouldn't want it, or why you wouldn't pray in the Spirit. So the manifestation of tongues is, is, is evident there. We've got a bunch of scriptures for it. We're Bible people. You can disagree with tongues, but you can't disagree with the fact that we've got Bible to back it up, right? Tongues is for everyone, and then you've got Mark 16, Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19. In Acts, in every account, every pres everyone present received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, that is to say, 100% of the believers receiving and speaking. And we've got eight or nine lessons on tongues, and we cover a lot of this in those uh, lessons. So what does praying in tongues accomplish? 
because what's, what I find fascinating in studying all this, you'll find Bible references for praying in tongues, doing everything you and I know to do in English with prayer. So we've said there's basically nine kinds of prayer that we do with our understanding. You'll find biblical examples of tongues doing the exact same thing, which I think is just so neat that the Spirit of God with the gift of tongues is bearing witness with the Word of God because the Spirit of God and the Word of God are the same thing. They're God. So what does tongues do? Praying in tongues builds you, encourages, and recharges you as a believer. Praying in tongues allows the Holy Spirit to intercede for you. There's intercession. Praying in tongues allows you to pronounce a blessing. Praying in tongues allows you to give thanks well. And we have, of course, scripture references for all these. Praying in tongues allows you to worship God and declare his wonderful works. Praying in tongues allows you to speak the unspoken mysteries of God. Praying in tongues is you, your spirit praying perfect prayer. The Bible says sometimes we don't know how to pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit maketh intercession. And so uh, there's times where we just don't know what to say in English. In fact, we're praying right now for our mission trip to Iceland. We pray every Saturday night, and we're kind of in the dark on a lot of the details. And that's just because we're not in charge of this, and we've never been to Iceland, and we don't know who's receiving us. We only know one of the people who's taking us. And so we just, last night, we just did a bunch of praying in tongues. That's what we've done the last couple of times we've met. And we say, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to go to Iceland. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word and to build some stuff for some churches. And thank you for trusting us. But other than that, let's just pray in tongues because we don't know what to pray. And so tongues is a wonderful time to do that. When you don't know what else to pray, just pray in tongues and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to pray for what you're seeking after. Uh, if, if Marcelino comes to me and says, Pastor, I'm, I'm having difficulties with this, and he shares it with me. How do you want me to pray? I don't know how to pray, Pastor. I just need you to pray. Well, I probably don't know how to pray either. So I'll pray as much as I can in English, and then I'll say, all right, Lord, you know, Mars is going through something. Father, I don't know what else to pray, so I'm just going to pray in the Spirit. And even if the Holy Spirit decides to take it some other direction, that's between the Holy Spirit, the Lord, God Almighty, and the Father, and at least my heart was trying to intercede for Marcelino. It's a wonderful thing. I don't know why more Christians don't want it. I really don't know why pastors who know about it hold it back from their people except they believe this marketing lie that it'll freak out the seeker. Well, if the seeker's seeking God, how will he know he's found God? Except you give God to him. So, I don't know. I just shake my head at modern America church. Praying in tongues can be you praying for yourself, you praying for others, or you magnifying and worshiping God. And really, what else is there to prayer? You praying for you, you praying for something else, for others, and you magnifying God. And I, we've covered tongues enough a lot. And uh, so we'll move on to this next type, the prayer of faith. This is a critical, critical type of prayer. The prayer of faith covered there in the gospel, excuse me, the epistle of James chapter 5. James 5.15 says, The prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. Of course, 5.14 says, Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray over him anointing with oil. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. So what exactly is the prayer of faith? Because this is a type of prayer. It's unique. It's distinguished. And it lets us know that this is one of the many types of prayer. We're not always praying the prayer of faith, but we should always be praying in faith. But this is specifically the prayer of faith. All prayers should be prayed in faith, for without faith it's impossible to please God. And I will therefore men pray everywhere without wrath and doubting. So we don't doubt when we pray. But there is clearly a prayer of faith. And this is prayer 
given for something for which there is clear Bible authority to ask for and receive. Now, of course, that should be all prayer. We, First John says we know that we have our petitions because we pray according to his will. And if we pray according to his will, we know that he hears us. So we don't have the biblical right to just go blab it and grab it or name it and claim something unless the Bible states salvation. The Bible states peace. The Bible states victory. And I think we understand that as well. In James 5.15, the request is for the healing of a sick person. In this instance, the sick person has called for the elders of the church to come and pray for them. The one in need initiated the prayer. Now, this is what's so different. It's someone who has a need, and their, their, their raw faith just says, I need help. And they call for help. Sometimes in our spirit-filled circles, we get too spooky, and we want to wait for the troubling of the water. And Jesus Christ dealt with that in John 5 when the lame man at the pool of Bethesda said, I'm waiting for the troubling of the water, but it never works for me because I don't have any help. And yet there's the Lord saying, well, don't you want to be healed today? And the Lord said, well, yeah, then get up. And that was him initiating this man's just raw faith. Too much of the time we wait to be led. We wait till we feel something. The prayer of faith has nothing to do with feeling anything. The prayer of faith, you, you pray when you feel nothing and it looks like it's about to get worse. It's easy to pray when the Spirit of God comes upon you. It's easy to pray when you have this anointing to pray. But the prayer of faith is just raw, unadulterated faith. You don't feel like praying, you got to get out of bed. You don't feel like showing up, but you come anyway. You, you feel like rolling over and dying or you feel like giving up and you open your mouth and pray anyway. That is the prayer of faith. And I would, I would probably venture to say 90, 95% of our praying should be the prayer of faith. If we're always waiting to be led, we're going to be waiting a long time. As one man said, if you want to feel led, get a fishing weight, put it in your pocket. And anytime you want to feel led, just put your hand down in there, rub on it, and you can go back to praying. <laughs> we, I've had, I think we've all had experiences where the Holy Ghost prompted us to go pray. And it was like the second we got in prayer, there was the anointing of God and there was the Spirit of God. But if, we, if, that's, if that's the only time we've ever prayed, that might be once a month. That might be once every 10 months. We ought to be praying every day. And so a lot of the prayer of faith is you just pray when you don't feel like it. Maybe that's the whole reason you do pray is because you don't feel anything. But one thing I've also experienced, and I think you have as well, once you do get to praying, you stir things up. And five or ten minutes later, 20 minutes later, you're, you're starting to feel the Spirit of God because you troubled the waters. You stirred them up. If we're always waiting on the Lord, and there is a time to wait on the Lord, but if we're always waiting for Him, we may not be doing the Word as much. Here in James 5, this person's sick. They don't feel the anointing of God to be healed. They feel sick. <laughs> and their feelings of sick provoked them to do what they knew to do, which was to call for the elders of the church. Now, again, I like to point out, this is the only biblical precedent for skipping church. You're sick, and you couldn't make it. But yet, at the same time, it says this person's heart is so hungry for God and for church, they call for the elders to come and pray over them and anoint them with oil because they want to get better, not so they can go play hooky from church, but so they can go back to church. But notice it's also the sick person's responsibility to call for help. As a pastor and as the elders of this church, we don't always know when people have need, and we're here to supply needs. We're here to take care of needs and pray for them, but some folks, they're just good at playing hooky anyway, so how do we to know that you broke your leg in a car accident because you were a little tipsy and you weren't just playing hooky? 
How are we to know you need something except that you ask for it? Here it says, if there's anybody sick, you should be calling for help. Don't feel too proud. Don't feel like you're bothering us. It's what we're here to do. We're here to gather together the elders. It may not always be me, but we got other elders. And we'll come lay hands on you. We'll come to your house. We'll visit you. We'll hold a little church service in there, anoint you with oil, read some scriptures to you, and, and encourage you, get you back on your feet. Too many folks, though, they're just absent without leave. They're AWOL. They're unaccountable. And unfortunately, in this generation, since the 70s, if I, as a pastor, if any church starts to get too nosy, we're called a cult. And I've, I've been put in this position more than once in my short pastorate. If I check on somebody too much, I'm controlling. If I don't check on them enough, I don't care for them. All right, how do I win that one? How am I to know what is too much for you and what is not enough? Who's the needy person and who's the stay away from me person? I don't know. So that's why James says, call. <laughs> you report in for duty. You're supposed to be the mature one. You know, you're, 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 you're the adult. You should be the one that shows up and lets people know when you're going to be absent. Yeah. All right. Just trying to teach us how to be mature. The one in need here initiated the prayer as opposed to the Holy Spirit. And they initiated this prayer on their own behalf with someone else doing the praying. The prayer of faith is often free from any tangible anointing or natural feelings. And I would say, for me personally, the greatest miracles and healings I've ever seen, I didn't feel nothing. And now at the same time, I can't tell you how many times I've fallen down under the power of God or how many times I've shook, rattled, and rolled, quaked. I can't tell you how many times I've been stuck to the floor or just have any one of these supernatural manifestations. And it didn't do any change in me naturally. I'm sure it did a supernatural change. But I can't say it made me heal, healed. I can't say it made my vision better. I can't say it made my bones stronger. It was just a manifestation. So if I have to pick between feeling a supernatural manifestation or getting results, I want results. <laughs> Amen. I remember several years ago, probably the first or second year we were pastoring, I, we were, I called for, the Lord told me to call for people who were fighting sickness. And we, I started laying hands on people. And I was kind of bummed out because nobody was falling down. And I thought, well, that's a bummer. And that's what I'm arguing in my heart. I don't feel nothing, and nobody's falling down. I don't feel nothing. And finally, I was actually right about here on the platform. It's about right in here. And the Lord says, do you want them to fall down, or do you want them to get well? I said, point taken. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. I call you healed. And where's the faith in that? On top of that, we've all fallen down and got up the same. So it's not about the power of God knocking us down. Thank God it does. It's cool to play with. I'd rather be healthy. Amen. So that's the prayer of faith. It is often free from any tangible anointing or natural feelings. Faith, after all, is not based on feelings. If we wanted, if it had to be feelings, none of us would serve God. And on top of that, to show how immature we are, the devil will attack all of us and start to make us unfeel things. We don't feel loved here. We don't feel like we belong here. We don't feel like God's in the service. Well, since when is any of this about feelings? It's, that's, that's carnal. That's sensual. That's immature. We do things by faith. If it's all about feelings, every one of us would have been divorced 55 times because we don't always feel like we want to be married or feel in love. And they, well, a wise person said, I love you, but I don't like you much right now. But you give me five minutes and I'll get my heart straight. That wise person might have been me or my wife <laughs> to each other. I love you, honey, but I don't like you right now. 
I'll get over it though. Feelings. That's so immature. Feelings. <laughs> Feelings. That's not spiritual. That's sensual. All right. Uh, faith, after all, is not based on feelings. However, it should be noted that the prayer of faith can manifest the anointing. And that's the cool thing. You feel nothing, but you pray. And as soon as you start praying, God shows up and you think, what would, I have, what would have happened if I didn't pray? What would have happened if I didn't drag myself out of bed and come to the house of God? What would have happened if I didn't do what I didn't feel like doing? And that's faith. We don't always feel like it. How, did, how do you think Moses felt standing at the Red Sea? And the army, the greatest military force ever known up until that point at his... You could, I'm sure the ground was shaking. I'm sure the Red Sea were ripples from the vibration of the horses. And he didn't feel anything. He said, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, uh, Lord, he said, Lord, do something. The Lord said, you do something. Stretch forth your hand. Like that's going to help me. <laughs> Abracadabra got a magic wand. And yet he lifted up the staff of God and salvation came didn't feel nothing and you still got to run because the army's still behind you all right uh we got some more places to go but don't take your time move quickly move quickly yeah, <laughs> yeah. we don't take our time here this is not a uh, exercise walk this is run for your life the anointing just wasn't there when the prayer started if the one requesting prayer and the one proffering the prayer are in agreement, then this would also be called a prayer of agreement. You don't always have to be in agreement to get something to work. Lots of times we pray for folks, we pray for our girls. There's no agreement there. They're just kids and they're in pain and we pray for them and, and the healing comes. We pray for them and they get better. But if, if, if you call for me to pray for you, and you're in faith, and I'm in faith, we come together, that's the prayer of agreement, and we'll look at that in this next section. This type of prayer can be made for yourself or for others, the prayer of faith. You know, if I'm praying for Greg, he can be in a coma. How much faith is going on if he's in a coma? None. But I can lay hands on him and pray for him in the prayer of faith, and the Lord raise him up. Or somebody who isn't just, they don't know what to believe yet. This is the prayer of faith. This is critical. This really should define our life as Christians. Everything we do should be in faith. We should not do anything based on feelings. I can't emphasize to you enough as a pastor how many times I just don't feel like doing something I'm supposed to do as a pastor. And God just doesn't care. He just doesn't care. And see, at the same time, I would be ashamed to say many Christians operate more faith for their job than they do for God. Because you guys don't always feel like going to work. But you do, and you give it your best, hopefully, when you get there. You don't always feel like paying your taxes, but you do. You don't always feel like paying for something, but you do, because you got to have it. You don't always feel like doing 99% of what you do, and yet you do it anyway, because it needs to be done. And in essence, that's faith. Isn't it amazing? We get over to the kingdom, which things are eternal, and if we don't feel like it, well, we find an excuse not to. It's really shameful. Now, the other thing I like to add in teaching on the prayer of faith, in the Greek, this word prayer is not actually the word prayer, which kind of mixes everything up that I just taught you, but it doesn't contradict it. This word is it's the only time this word is translated prayer, but this word is actually the word oath. So what it says is the oath of faith. The oath of faith. And what that means is here in James 5, you've got an individual who's sick. It says, if any of you are sick, let him call for the elders 
and let him pray over him in the name of the Lord, anointing him with oil. And the oath of faith shall save the sick. Now, the oath of faith basically means they commit in their heart, I'm not going to do this again. Lord, I make an oath to you. Lord, if you'll help me, I'll do better. And so that says that we have a lot to play. It also implies that perhaps in this instance of sickness, there was sin associated with it. Because it says that if they have, forgive, have committed any sins, they shall be forgiven them. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. Lord, raise them up. If they've committed any trespass, they shall be forgiven. So it imp- implies that perhaps this individual, maybe they're sick because of sin, but if they will vow in their heart and make an oath and covenant for God, Lord, I won't do that again, that that also helps to raise them up. It also goes to show us how much sin often plays a role in our sickness, just rebellion against God. So the oath of faith, I like that. You and I ought to be living a constant oath before God. And we say, Lord, I'm going to serve you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm not going to turn to the left hand or to the right. That ought to be our faith, that we have covenanted with God. Until you do that, until you make an oath with God in your heart, uh, you'll always be tossed and driven. You'll always be up and down. I can say I haven't skipped church since 2000. I haven't skipped a church service since the year 2000. And I remember, was it even 2000? No, I didn't skip that service. So I haven't skipped a church service since 1997 because it was my 21st birthday. That's the last time I skipped a church service because I didn't feel like going. Because at some point, as a 21, 22, 23-year-old, I said, I'm going to make an oath to God that he is more important to me than me. And when you make that decision in your heart, all the other decisions are easy. And I, don't, I haven't robbed the tithe since I was in college. Because you make an oath with God. Lord, this is all your money. So since I was 21, 22, in fact, I remember the service. It was with Robert Scales. He came in and he was an evangelist. And he said, some of you rob God in tithes and offerings. If that's you, stand up. Like, since when do we do that anymore? Call people out like that. And I said, that's me. And I just stood up because, you know, you're 22. Zigzags for God. I'm a tithe thief. I, I'm a college kid. I got no money. What? And he said, if you'll just covenant with God that you won't steal from him anymore. And I said, all right, Lord, I won't. And I've never been a tithe thief since. That's what it means to live by an oath. And it just makes your life better. Until you make those covenants in your heart and you declare, I'm not going to steal the tithe. I'm not going to skip church. I'm not going to do this. Whatever the Lord commands you, you'll always, that'll always be uh, up for discussion. And you'll always be weak in that area of your Christian walk. And because of that, stuff will always be able to come upon you pretty easily. Because you're just not stable. Christians ought to be the most stable people on the planet. Their life ought to be the most stable. Their finances ought to be the most stable. Their faithfulness ought to be the most stable. Their character ought to be the most stable. You have to covenant that thing in your heart. That's an oath. The oath of faith that says, Lord, I'm not going back there anymore. That says, James says, that alone could raise you up and make your life a lot better. Amen. All right. Let's move on to the prayer of agreement. Matthew 18, 19, and 20. Uh, The Lord says, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask. Notice Jesus said again, which means he's taught this more than once. And apparently he had to do a lot of teaching on it because they just weren't catching it. If any any two of you, because it takes two to agree, you agreeing with yourself is not agreement. (laughs) You know, that's that's you thinking you're awesome. You have to get somebody else to hold hands with you. You can't hold hands with yourself and say, I'm in agreement with me. No, you're weird. (laughs) 
As touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So this is what we call the prayer of agreement. Jesus Christ taught this. He stated that he had taught this more than once. There is great power in agreement. The prayer of agreement is not just limited to two. Jesus said two or three. So this is powerful in marriage. This is power on ministry staff. If you have a Christian business, you ought to get your your employees in agreement. The world has even tapped in on this. They call it in in, um, marketing or in business management, they call it the burning platform. And it's when you tell your company or your employees, this is the what we got. This is our goal for the month. And if we don't make it, we're going to have to lay some folks off. Well, you instantly got everybody on the board with you. And everybody's of one heart, one mind. We got to make budget or we got to make the zinc mine. It was production. We got to make production. And so they got in. They, the world has realized there's a power to agreement. But Jesus Christ taught it first. Actually, the Old Testament taught it first. We got some verses here from the Old Testament on the prayer of agreement. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, Two are better than one, especially when you're single. Amen. Hallelujah. Because they have a good reward for their labor. Well, obviously, two people can get more work done. I hate doing yard work by myself. I hate working out by myself. Now, there's some things that are better by yourself, like when you've got to focus and concentrate. But he says two are better than one because they have their reward. Uh, that's why when you're married, you have two people plowing together. You ought to be able to get more done. But that means you have to maintain unity. You have to communicate with each other. You have to get along. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4.11 says, Two lying together have heat. You can't be warm alone. Did you know that? <laughs> you can't be warm alone, not unless you have a zero-degree sleeping bag. Uh, and even then, uh, you know, in hypothermic conditions, they, they talk about stripping down uh, to, to apply body heat to keep somebody from dying of hypothermia. And so, uh, you know, sometimes if you've got kids, you don't want them in your bed with you because they put off too much heat. You know, get off me, kid. You are like a power plant. <laughs> But these are verses that talk about the power of agreement. Ecclesiastes 4.12. Two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly or easily broken. And so uh, if you have two, you can withstand the enemy. That's the power of agreement. Now, what the devil loves to do is to get into your marriage and unravel you. I was doing some rope work yesterday in my backyard, and uh, my rope is getting on to be about 10 years old, but that's all right. But I was noticing uh, using the vertical gear on my rope, I'm starting to pick little frays on the Kermit, uh, the, the sheath, the, the nylon sheath on the outside. And I thought, thank God this isn't just one thread. Thank God there's millions of little fibers running through this rope because I'm way high off the ground for all of a sudden this thing to come unraveled. The devil knows that. That's why in his, your marriages he'll work to unravel you. He'll, he'll work to get in there to start to rot you and corrode you and, and to tear you apart because a threefold cord is not easily broken. But if, if the devil can get you unraveled, you're, you're, you're easy and you're, you're, you're toast. You're easily undone. That's why in marriage you've got to make sure you stay in agreement. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, uh, speaking on marriage, that the wives must adapt themselves to their husbands. And it says the husbands must dwell with their wives with all intelligent recognition, giving honor unto them as unto the weaker vessel, and as joint heir of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So if you're unraveled in your marriage, your prayers ain't coming to pass. So that's why you have to swallow your pride. That's why you have to get over yourself. That's why you have to get over your insecurity, your immaturity, so that your prayers can be answered and not hindered. 
A bad marriage is one of the quickest ways the Bible diagnoses unanswered prayer. And it's almost as if none of your prayers are going to be answered if you can't get your marriage in alignment. And this is why sometimes uh, some folks, whether it's the husband or the wife, they won't even stand for Jesus Christ because they'd rather just have peace. Well, that makes them spineless. You have to stand for Jesus Christ. If you stand for Jesus Christ and the other person unravels themselves from your marriage, so be it. But you've got to stand for Jesus Christ. All right. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3. 3. There's a question. No, you can't walk together except you're in agreement. If you're going opposite directions, you're not walking together. Right? Jesus sent his disciples out by twos because of agreement. The people of Babel were united and in agreement. See, even the Old Testament hints at this power of agreement. Genesis eleven six, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. How come we can't get local churches as one? But these pagans can be one. And they have all one language. Uh, that means they were all speaking the same thing, doing the same thing. And this they begin to do, this tower they're building, the Tower of Babel. And now nothing will be restrained from them. Isn't that what Jesus said? Two of you shall agree, it shall be done. Here it says, nothing shall be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Because they were unified in heart, in mind, in soul, in speech, and in operation. God Almighty, actually the Hebrew says Elohim, the Trinity. Elohim says, nothing will be restrained from them. So how will we stop this rebellion? Disunity. That's what God said. We'll confound the languages. You know how the devil stops your marriage and your life? Disunity. You know how the devil stops a local church? Disunity. Opinions. Over-opinionation. That's why the power of agreement has got to be protected. Uh, if we're not in agreement, if we're not in unity, a family won't have a good vacation together. A business won't go anywhere together. A marriage won't be beautiful together. A ministry won't accomplish anything. You have to have this agreement. Because of the power of agreement, we must be mindful of what we consent to. Be careful what you pray for with people. For this reason, unspoken prayer requests are unscriptural. And we can't emphasize that enough. You know, what if Mr. Greg, you know, he's believing God for a better woman? Well, we can believe God, Miss Eva, improves. Yeah, she's fighting some, you know, she had some surgery. And in his heart says, no, no, no. By better, I mean a whole nother one. Well, yeah, God can do a recreative work in Miss Eva. And no, 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 no. Not, in his heart says, no, you don't get it. Not Eva Dingwall. This one over here. Ah, see, if you get in agreement with that, oh, yes, Lord, answer. I come into agreement with Greg and his unspoken request that he wants a better, better wife. And he's saying, amen, hallelujah, amen, hallelujah. I don't know. Does demon forces go into power then? I don't know. That's why I said, what do you want? Even, but don't, don't you remember Jesus said, what do you want? Well, shouldn't it be obvious, Jesus? Blind Bartimaeus is called blind Bartimaeus because he's blind. Well, Jesus didn't know what he wanted. But even Jesus was specific. And he said, all right, do you believe I can do this for you? I do. Then you can have it unto your faith. We have to be very clear. Brother Hagen taught uh, that if you ask for nothing in particular, you'll get nothing in particular. So be specific. <laughs> Be specific in your prayer requests before the Lord. And when you ask for prayer, what if the unspoken request is for evil to befall an enemy or for a man to leave his wife? Uh-oh, see, we already got Greg. 
We all just, we have an unspoken request for Greg now. <laughs> it involves a two-by-four <laughs> and a woodshed. We don't want our prayers to be partaking of another man's sins or another person's sins. The prayer of agreement can be made for yourself or for others. Alan comes to me, Pastor, can I pray for you for something? Yeah, I need wisdom. All right, let's agree for wisdom. What for? Uh, not wisdom to leave my wife, wisdom to pastor this church. Or, Alan, what's going on? Pastor, can you pray for me? What for? And he tells her, we can get into agreement right there. Well, you know, we as Americans, we like to hold hands when we do it. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, so, but you don't have to hold hands. It can be over the telephone. That brings us to our, our final type of prayer, and that is the prayer of consecration. Technically, the prayer of consecration we ought to be doing every day. It's kind of like the oath of faith. We ought to be vowing to serve God every day. We ought to be consecrating our life before God Almighty every day. Uh, the, to consecrate means to sanctify something to God's worship and service. That means to, to sanctify, to set it apart. So when we talk about the prayer of consecration, we're talking about a prayer that we pray for ourselves, where we set aside ourselves for God's service and worship. It's, we do it almost every Sunday service around here. We have a, a rededication. Who wants to rededicate? And what we lead them through is a prayer of consecration. Father, I'm the prodigal. Forgive me. I want to come back home. But you don't have to be backslidden to pray the prayer of consecration. You can just wake up and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, help me to serve you today. Lord, I want to glorify you. I got a busy day ahead of me. Lots of decisions to make. May every one of my decisions honor you. And that's you consecrating yourself. The prayer of consecration refers to prayer used to sanctify and set apart the person who is praying for God's service. This prayer can only be made for yourself. Now, you might can consecrate a vehicle to the Lord's use. You might can consecrate a, a tool or something, but you can't pray this for your friend. This comes from the internal heart to serve God. I can't pray the prayer of consecration for Greg because that's between him and God. Nor can I pray it for the Bedus. Or for the Keiths, I can only pray it for myself. Now, I can declare as the head of my household, as for me in my house, we serve God. But I can't pray it over the Baldwin's house. I can't pray it over the Win a Wilder's house. I can only pray that over my house. And every one of you men, you ought to be putting your foot down and saying, as for me in my house, we serve the Lord God. And Joshua said that because he couldn't decide what Israel, what they were going to do. He said, I can't speak for you, but as for me in my house... We serve the Lord God. Jesus demonstrated this for us in the garden, and we're to be just like Jesus. He said, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's the, that, look how short that prayer is. Lord, not what I want, but what you want. A lot of Christians don't like this because they're too busy doing what they want. Whether it's the cars they buy, houses they buy, what they spend their money on, vacations they take, mission trips they take. You have to be willing to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's the prayer of consecration. And that's hard. As Americans, we're taught you deserve. Even McDonald's says you deserve a break today. Really? I just woke up. Hallelujah. I deserve a break today at McDonald's. And then we take that into our jobs. I, now, unfortunately, in corporate America, everybody knows you don't work when you go to work. It, you take a good hour warming up. You go, you get some coffee. I did this. And you make the rounds of the office. What's going on? Did you guys have a good weekend? What would you do last night? Yeah. And then you got to sit down and warm up to the computer and let it fire it up. And then you got to check your emails. And you got to see what's going on, Fox News, MSNBC, when it was still in MSNBC. 
And so uh, then by 8.45, you're ready for that conference call. And then by 10 o'clock, it's break time again. And so, and then just when you get a good, good flow going, it's 11.30. It's, oh, somebody stops and what are we doing for lunch today? Man, that's a good question. Let's go see what uh, you know, Harry's doing. Harry, what do you think about lunch today? Uh, when are you going to leave? Oh, we can leave early, maybe 11.50, be back. All right, go see what Chuck wants to do. Whew. I've been at work four hours. I've done 30 minutes of work. <laughs> that's selfish and carnal, and I wasn't getting paid to do that. And that's honestly most of corporate America. I can testify because I worked in corporate America. <laughs> it's amazing we got anything done. But no, we, we did work long hours too, probably because we worked no hours before lunch. <laughs> And that's why we took work home, too. The prayer of consecration helps the believer to keep their heart and will focused and consecrated to the will of God. You pray this every day. And let this be the, the desire of your heart. That, Lord, my, my will, my life, my focus is on you. Uh, from the things I watch to the things I eat to what I spend my money on to the places I go, uh, let this all be about you. Your life is the sum of all the little decisions you make. And so if your life stinks or if it's not performing, you've got to start to reconsecrate yourself on every little decision. Just like the, uh, the dependability of your vehicle is based on the sum of all the parts. It doesn't matter how great your engine is if the bearings don't work. It doesn't matter how great the engine is if the transmission doesn't work. It doesn't matter how great the transmission is if the engine doesn't work. It doesn't matter how great or how big the engine is if only six of the eight cylinders are firing. And so all you have to do is just stop and look at your life and realize I've got to consecrate everything I'm doing to the Lord so that I can improve my performance for Him, so that I can go faster. I, I look at our little girls and I realize everything I'm doing with my girls, every decision in my marriage is working to affect the whole of my marriage, the health of my marriage. I'm putting things in my kids now that are going to affect them the rest of their life. And so everything I do with my kids, I have to make sure it's consecrated before the Lord. From the cartoons we let them watch or the things we let them get away or not get away with. Because I'm, my heart, and I try to teach you guys this, my heart is to finish the race the Lord has set before us, before me, my family, and your race too. And you can't just start skimping things. If, if you got the Olympics coming up and you start skipping workouts, you're not going to have what it takes to make the Olympics. And we as Americans, we think we deserve a break today. Or we take this mindset, there's bigger hills to die on. Why don't you start laying down your life now on these little things? That's the prayer of consecration. Lord, let me every decision I make, every thought I make, focus and glorify you. And that just becomes your life. That comes back to the oath of faith. You just live that way. It's just who you are. It's just how you be. And that makes your life even greater. But again, what's worth looking is or measuring yourself or judging yourself go back and look at your overall life what's the fruit of it what's the health of it uh, if the fruit's bad start looking at the tree and the soil because God wants us to be very fruitful very productive very God honoring amen and the best way we do this is through prayer it's how we fix everything whatever you're praying for is getting better whatever you're not praying for will degrade the second law of thermodynamics basically says a closed system Without the entrance of any new energy will decay. Basically, you look at your house. If you don't maintain your house, it will fall apart. And, and so in, in spiritually, your life is a closed system. And without the entrance or the input of any new power, your life will decay. 
That new power you need is prayer. Whatever you're not praying for in your life is decaying. Your marriage, your health, your finances, your mind, your future, your walk with God, that your prayer life sets the course of your future. My pastor's wife, Miss Shelley, she used to say, you, you, you will only go as far as you pray. And you are where you are today because of your prayers. That's what he, she'd always say. You are where you are today because of your prayer life. That, that makes me want to go pray some more. Amen. We learn anything? Father, we thank you for Sunday school. Bless this as it becomes our pod schools. Father, bless those that listen to it. May we become men and women of prayer that pray to change our life. May we realize that our life will only go as far as we pray. And whatever we're not praying for is decaying already. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to pray and to process your plan through prayer and to activate, uh, grab a hold of the power of God through our prayer life. We love you, Lord. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.